Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 24 today, if you want to start turning there. If you don't have a Bible and you like a Bible, feel free to shoot up your hand, we'll bring one to you. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that uh, we had a God that would uh, grow us, that would love us with a loyal love, he would provide for us, and he would even deliver us from those who would betray or attack us. But today we want to look at what happens when... Uh, that person that maybe betrayed you or attacked you or gossiped about you or hurt you, what happens when they're exposed? When you have that moment where you could deliver that punch, where you could cut them down with your words, and you have a chance to, as they say, not get mad, but get even. <laughs> Our culture will tell you that revenge is a dish best served cold. But, and I know you're going to be completely taken off guard here, our culture does not line up with what we as Christians are called to do. Amen. We find ourselves, again, being provided a model of how we should act through David. He's the king on the run. He's got a group of now 600 uh, men, discontent, grumbling, in debt. Not the kind of guys that you're, you're looking for when you're building an all-star team, right? So let's take a look at what God's word has to say about this. Let's, let's take a look. 1 Samuel 24, starting in verse 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, and indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, no one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord, therefore, be the judge and decide between you and me. 
and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? Mm -hmm. May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. David swore to Saul. Saul went to his home. David and his men went up to the stronghold. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we are about to learn this morning, Lord. We pray that you would help us to apply it in our lives and in our relationships, in our church, and that this church would become even stronger for it, Lord, through your power, through your strength, and we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So as we're looking at this, we, we the question sometimes arises, why are we looking at what happened in the Old Testament? This is like a thousand years BC. This is like 3,000 years ago. Why do we care what happened back then? My answer to you would be something that we looked at last night at the, at the Christmas party. Uh, we looked at the, the passage, 1 John 4, 7 through 10. And I tried to get Allison to sing the song in the first service, but she wouldn't do it. So there is a song that goes with verses 7 and 8. So if you see her, ask her. I'm sure she'll love it. First John 4, 7-10 Beloved, let us love one another For love is from God And everyone who loves Is born of God And knows God The one who does not love does not know God For God is love By this, the love of God Was manifested in us That God has sent his only begotten son Into the world so that we might live Through him In this is love not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That love, that love that we're talking about there is the love that, that it's the super glue for our church. It's the super glue for our relationships, for our families. <coughs> We talked last week about how uh, different things can cause dissension in, in the foundation of our family. It can cause cracks. And those cracks over time and, and multiple offenses begin to widen into vast gulfs that will divide a church, will divide a family. And we have to do everything we can to fight against that. But we're called to unity in Christ. Amen? Amen. So today, we're going to get some real training on how to put the love that John was talking about right there into action. How can we take what John was saying there, God is love, and if we love, then we're with God. If we don't love, we don't even know God. How do we take that love? How do we show that? And today, we're going to get some, some real uh, where the rubber meets the road type uh, advice here. So verse 1, 
Now Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Now this is, this is interesting and descriptive here, because if you just blow past this, you won't catch this. But Saul returns from pursuing the Philistines. Now normally in the Bible, when we read about a battle right, between the Philistines and the Israelites, we get something like, and the Israelites struck them down with great slaughter. Or the Israelites were defeated that day and ran to their tent. But we don't get any of that here. It just says he got back from pursuing the Philistines. And presumably Saul made it back because he's told that David is hiding in the wilderness of Engedi. But the writer is showing us that beating the Philistines isn't even something on Saul's mind. It's not what Saul cares about. His, his bloodlust has blinded him. And so he comes back from battle. He doesn't even change his clothes. And he heads out. He heads out after David into the Engedi wilderness. I mentioned this last week. Uh, the Engedi wilderness there is by the Dead Sea. I did, I did check it out. It's 1,290 feet below sea level. Okay, so the Death Valley, I don't know what Death Valley is, but it's even lower. It's actually the lowest spot on Earth, Death Valley, or uh, the Dead Sea. And uh, I, I put a few pictures up there, if you won't mind showing us a picture there. This is why David would go to that area right there. So there's one, and then there's one more. There you go. So there was an oasis there. So you can't really, you can kind of see it in the background there, but this is just dry, hot, baked rock. It's just dead. That's why it's called the Dead Sea, right? It's in the name. And, and in, in and amongst that, there's this little oasis right here, and uh, that's where the, the men could go get water. They could hide. We're going to find out about the caves uh, here in a minute. Uh, there were ibis there. We'll see a picture of those here in a minute. Um, and so this is where David is hiding out, and Saul decides to come down here. Now, David probably thought this was pretty safe because nobody really went here. It was far away from any city. It was isolated by miles and miles of desert rock. And this is where David is hiding. Uh, verse 2, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Remember, I told you there were mountain goats in this wilderness, or ibis, and we got a picture of them there. Oh, they're so cute. And delicious. <laughs> That's what they look like. So there's, there's thousands of these things running around. They've got water. They've got food. They're, they're sort of hidden there. And, and yet, even then, Saul's spies are able to determine where David is, and they tell him where he's at, and Saul pursues him into this area. And again, we find... David in a bit of a pickle. He's outnumbered five to one. There are spies everywhere. And it doesn't seem like it's going to end well for David. But hopefully, through our study of 1 Samuel here, and, and your personal study of the Bible, hopefully, when you read stuff like this, your first reaction is, oh gosh, what's David going to do? Oh no, David. Right? Our response should be, hmm, I wonder what God's going to do. Because God always does something. Amen. And in this case, he does something that we don't see written about in the Bible very often. In fact, off the top of my head, I can only think of one other time where it's written about. And really, it was the, the servants thought this guy was using the restroom, right? But it, really, somebody had stabbed him and locked the door. Saul has to go potty, right? 
So he, he peels off. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And there's David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the caves. We can show that next slide there. There you go. It's kind of, you might not be able to see it real well, but if you look right here, there's one there, there's one there, there's one there. You see all these little holes in the, in the wall there. And some of those open up into very deep caves. And the reason it's called the sheepfold is because shepherds would bring their sheep along, probably not to those, because that's a little hard to get to, but there's some that's closer to the ground. And they would put their sheep in there. And then the shepherd would lay across the front of the cave, and their sheep would be protected in there. Because these are large caves. And, and when you think about it, if you've ever been in a cave, what's it like inside of a cave? Dark, yes. So you walk in out of this blinding light, the light glaring off the rocks, and you walk in, you probably only see a foot or two in front of you there. And Saul goes into this cave, and in the back, in the deep, dark back of the cave, there's David and his men. Suddenly, David's mighty theologians show up. Right? They were malcontents and men that were in debt before, but now they're mighty theologians. Look at verse 4. Then the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now whether David's men were remembering from, remember last week when uh, David was going to go save Keilah and they said, ah, I don't think that's a good idea. And David went back and talked to the Lord. The Lord said, go, I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And whether or not they were equating that phrase with, well, the Philistines are your enemy. And he did that. Saul's definitely your enemy. I mean, he's tried to kill you about a hundred times now. So it, it just matches. It matches. And they were taking that to mean that God had delivered the Philistines, and now he was delivering Saul. Whatever it was, these guys thought they knew the will of the Lord for sure. They had it pegged down. They didn't hesitate to encourage David in their way of thinking. That's a good lesson for us, because I think it's a, it's a wise thing to seek counsel. It's a very wise thing to seek counsel from trusted Christian brothers and sisters. But, the end of the road is the Bible. This is where we go. Correct. And you may receive counsel that is contrary to this, and it may come from a very wise person, but it's not wise counsel if it doesn't come from here. Correct. And David's men were not coming from here. They were coming from here. They encouraged David in their way of thinking. This is it. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. And you can almost sense their glee as David creeps up to the front of the cave with his sword drawn. And, and he lifts that sword up and they're like, yes. But then David starts coming back. And Saul's still sitting there. His head's still on. And I say, what's, what's going on here? Verse 4, the second half. David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. If you want to learn about robes, you can go back and look at Leviticus, Deuteronomy area. They talk about these robes that they were to wear, and on the corners of the robes, there were to be tassels. And it was to remind them of 
the, the law, the Torah, these tassels were there. And they, they provided authority. You remember the, the lady with the issue of blood wanted to touch, what did she want to touch on Jesus? The hem of his robe. That's where the power was. So David creeps up and he, and he cuts that off and he, by cutting the corner of that robe, it made that robe worthless. It no longer had the power. It'd be the same as if somebody came in in military attire and they had their rank on their shoulder or you know, sometimes we, we wore them up here. It'd be the same thing as walking up and going, ripping that rank off. And it bothers David. It bothers David after he does it. Have you ever done something and immediately realized that it wasn't what God really wanted you to do in that situation? You just you get that sinking sensation in your gut. Maybe I moved a little too quickly on this one. Maybe I answered a little too harshly to that brother or sister. That's what David felt. He returns to his men with a, a section of cloth in his hand, and he's immediately struck with guilt. And we look at this and we say, David, bro, it's a robe. This king ain't get another one. I mean, you didn't chop off his head. I mean, think about who this is. Saul had on many occasions attempted to murder David, chucked spears at him while he was playing his little heart thing. He was irrational and a threat to every man in that cave. Think about these men now. We, we get to read this in, in little cute little <coughs> chunks, right? But in real life, in real time, this playing out, these men had been running for their lives for months, maybe years by now, in, in God-forsaken places, and, and no, no home, no family. They're just out there running around while this irrational mad king chases after David. Saul, he, he had done his own stuff. He wiped out a whole town of priests to get where he was now. The historian Josephus tells us there were 385 men, women, and children in the town of Nob that Saul had just wiped out a few chapters ago because he accused them of aiding David. And so his men are like, come on, David. Man up. Do it already. You have the power in your hands to end this right here. Right now, you control your destiny. Your kingdom awaits. God said it would be yours. You can have this domain and its glory if you but reach out your hand. Does that sound familiar to anybody? If it does, you're familiar with the temptations that Jesus faced while he was in the wilderness. You see, David had, had this struggle going on for this earthly kingdom, and it was a shadow or a picture of the struggle that David's son would face. Now, I'm using son biblically here, so when we say son, it could mean grandson, great-grandson, great-great-great-great-grandson. David's son, Jesus. As Jesus waited for the arrival of his heavenly kingdom. If you're on Facebook or the Instagrams or whatever, and you follow our church, you know that Liz came up with a really great idea. You see, we're, we're reading through Luke one chapter a day from December 1st to December 24th, which just happens to align with what? How many chapters there are in Luke, right? So by Christmas Eve, you will have read the entire book of Luke, and you will have been exposed to Jesus' birth, his life, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And if you're following along with that, you read Luke 4 last Sunday. If you turn there now to Luke 4, 
uh, I'll set the stage just a little bit here. Luke 4, starting in verse 1, uh, Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens open up. God the Father speaks from above. The Holy Spirit ascends like a dove and lands on Jesus' shoulder. And God says, uh, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately following that baptism, we get verse 1 of chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they ended, ended he became hungry. It's the understatement of the year, right? 40 days without eating. I go 40 minutes without eating and my tummy starts grumbling there. 40 days now. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Both David and his future son Jesus understood something that I think we need to take very seriously. God's will must come about in God's way. It must come about in God's time. Right? We, we think about Satan tempting Jesus there with, with all the kingdoms of the world shown in a moment of time. And, and Satan is acknowledging that Jesus will inherit those kingdoms. He's not arguing that point. He knows that's what's going to happen. Jesus will inherit those kingdoms. But he says, look, man, I'll give you a shortcut. Instead of going to that cross and having all these puny little humans beat on me with their sticks, I'll just give it to you. You can just have it. You don't, you don't have to endure any of that. Here you go. It's yours. All you have to do is bow down and worship. And David faces this on a much smaller scale. He's... He, he's the kingdom has been promised to him. God is going to give it to him. David could have certainly pushed that sword through Saul's back and claimed the throne for himself. But is that what God wanted? You see, God had given the kingdom to Saul, and David understood that it was up to God to take it away. For David to even slice a corner of Saul's robe was an act of rebellion. To Saul, yes. A little bit, but more important to God. This is not how we as sinful humans think. We're programmed to cheer for revenge. We want to see the bad guy get it. Right? Turn on any any movie. Right? And then they, they make that bad guy look bad, boy. He smacks a few women, kicks a kid, punches a cat. And we're like, man, I want to see that guy get it. He deserves it. Shoot him! And then and they, inevitably they do this, right? The good guy's like, no, you're not worth it. He starts to walk away, and the bad guy pulls out a hidden pistol, and the good guy turns around, bam! And we're like, yeah, that's what he deserved. As a believer in Christ, we have forsaken all claims on revenge or retribution or even payback. Instead, we are told that we are to love our enemies, leaving all vengeance to the Lord. Paul tells us in Romans 12, starting in verse 17, 
Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, <coughs> beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We went caroling Friday night. And by and large, when I've gone caroling in the past, it's always been either you get two, one of two reactions. One, they just don't answer the door. Or two, they come out and, hey, come let me sing. I grew up in the Midwest. They come out with coffee and cocoa and they watch you sing and sing a bunch of California, it's a little, you got, you got one song and you got to keep moving. Right? Keep things a little faster here. We went down this road here. We got to the cul-de-sac down there. And little Linda was a little, little girl, ninth grade. She, she had all the flyers with all of our uh, Christmas time events and our, our service times. And she was handing them out to people as they came to the door. And she knocked on this one door, and the guy got up and saw him in the way, came, out, came to the, the door, and she said, Merry Christmas. And we all started singing, you know, Joy to the world. And she hands him the flyer. He says, I don't want that blank, blank flyer. But he took it from her. I don't want it. Now, I stayed close enough because, you know, little girls knocking on strangers' doors, I'm going to stay close to that. So I just kind of moved up and put myself in between her and him. I extended my hand. I said, hey, how you doing? My name's Lance. I don't give a blanky blank who you are. I don't want this flyer. He, he had the flyer in his hand. Nobody was forcing him to hold the flyer. He could have thrown it on the ground. But he's holding this flyer, and he's trying to like get rid of it. And, and it's like I, I told somebody else earlier, it was like God had his hand wrapped around his hand. And he couldn't get rid of the flyer. I don't want this flyer. <laughs> and he, he, it was there. Finally, he said a few more words to me and slammed the door. I still had the flyer. <laughs> still had the flyer. Where is he now? Should be sitting in here. You never know. He may, be, he may come in here and sit again. Because I'll tell you that in responding to that, the, the, the first response, when, when I see a grown man swear at a little girl, punch him in the face. What are you doing? What are you doing? It's a little girl. You don't do that. We're Christians. We don't repay evil with evil. We, we have a, the, the best model ever. We have Jesus Christ. They were beating on him. He was bleeding. His skin was ripped. And not once did he fight back. He was reviled, and yet he did not revile in return. And so we sang a little louder as we walked away. And we prayed for him. Hear the kids say, why did that guy want to listen to us sing? I don't know. He's busy. And he'd been drinking. He came to the door with a beer in his hand. But the interesting thing is, the next day, he was going to wake up. He was going to be sober. And guess what's still going to be there? A flyer. And he's going to see that flyer. And he's going to see and remember what he did. And it will heap burning coals on his head. 
And it might just be that that brings them to church. It may be. And, and the important part to, to remember here that if I had stood there and gotten angry and, and started yelling back at him, I have no idea what that guy's going through. No idea. He may have lost his wife the day before. He may have lost his wife that day. Maybe he lost his job. Maybe he was going to lose his house. I don't know. But God knows. And that's why we leave our vengeance with the Lord. And I'll probably go down and check on him here in a week. A little earlier in the day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully that works. But then the, the we need to remember. We need to remember that we don't act in God's place. David knew that. I don't act in God's place. God has promised me that kingdom, but he also gave it to Saul. And when he's done with Saul, then he'll give it to me. And David understood that. And if you think it sounds difficult to understand that and, and to apply that, it is. It is very difficult. It's difficult for everyone. The ability to forego vengeance. To leave the avenging to the Lord. It's not something we're born with. Go watch a couple little kids playing on the, on the floor, and one of them takes the other, other kid's coat, and what do they do? Right? That's what we're born with. That's what we have inside of us. But it's something that comes through a mature relationship with the Lord. It's a fruit given to us by the Holy Spirit. For it is human to hate, but it is divine to forgive. I know I belabored this point, but I needed to do it because it's only if we understand this part of the story that we can interpret the rest of the story. Because if you gloss over that and you just read the rest of it, you're like, what is David doing? Why would you come out of the cave and expose yourself? Why would you bow down to this knucklehead? Why would you do all the things that we're going to read about? But we know because he knows that vengeance from the Lord, and the Lord is his deliverer and his protector, and so he's going to trust God. David's men did not understand this. We see in verse 7, David persuaded his men. The, the words there actually mean tore apart. David tore apart his men. They wanted to kill Saul. We probably would too, but he persuaded them. He tore his men apart. He stopped them, and he did not allow them to rise up against Saul. Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose. He let him get out of the cave a little bit. David jumps up and he runs out. And, and Saul's walking back to his troops there. And he says, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Look at the respect here. Look at the respect that he has here. When I was in the army, there, there was a saying, you salute the rank, not the man. Right? You respect the rank, not the man. He's respecting the rank here. He's respecting the rank that God has given him. My Lord, the King. And David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord, he gave you to my hand in that cave. And some said to kill you. See, he says, why do you listen to the words of men there? 
Do you think somebody was telling Saul to kill David? I don't think so. I think Saul was telling Saul to kill David. In, in everything we read, everybody else loved David. He says well, he, he's gracious to them. He shows him respect. Why do you listen to the words of men, knowing full well it's not the words of men? It's Saul talking to Saul. But then he says, you were in that cave, and some said to kill you. My men told me to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, listen to that word again, my father. Right? The phrase goes, I love you, but I don't like you. Right? Have you ever heard that before? I love you, but I don't like you. David loved Saul, but he didn't like Saul. Sometimes love is a choice. Sometimes you have to make that choice to respect the other person. He's choosing. This is, a, this is an internal battle here. He's choosing. Now, my father, see indeed the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off your robe and did not kill you, you can know that I'm not, I'm not out to get you. I could have killed you. This could be your head. Remember Goliath? I didn't have any problem chopping his head off. You're a lot smaller. Then we get to verse 12. And if you listen to nothing else, so if you're feeling a little sleepy, give yourself a little slap right now, okay? And listen to verse 12. Because if we can take this verse and we can apply this to our relationships, we can apply this to our marriages, we can apply this to our church, it will change everything. It will change everything. Verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand will not be against you. David isn't, isn't saying, it's okay that you chunked the spear at me. I don't mind that you've been chasing me for years, trying to kill me. He lays it right on the Lord. He says, may the Lord look at this situation and say, this is what needs to happen. And, and he, he doesn't gloss over the fact that he's angry at Saul. Look at what he says. May the Lord avenge me on you. Read some of David's psalms. And he gets pretty graphic in there. He talks about knocking the teeth out of people's face, destroying, consuming with fire. It's okay that we have those feelings. When it's not okay is when we take those feelings into our own hands. When we say, I'm going to knock the teeth out of your head. When it is okay is when we say, Lord, if it's your will, knock the teeth out of his face. <laughs> but it's God's will. It's submission to God's will. And he chooses, but my hand. That was a choice, folks. That was a choice. Think about this. You're in that cave. This guy's been trying to kill you for years. You have a sword. He's got his back to you. That's a choice. He chose to do what God wanted him to do. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Think about that in, our, in, in this context, right? In our church context. Have you ever had anybody bump up against you here at church? Maybe said something you didn't like? Maybe was rude to you? Maybe you thought they were talking about you? How do we apply this? May the Lord judge between me and you. And may the Lord avenge me, but as for me, I'm not going to do anything about it. Right? You, you come to the Christmas party and, 
And you're, you're one of the ladies that set up the Christmas party and somebody walks in and goes, man, these decorations look terrible. Oh. Right? <laughs> At that point, you have two options. You have two choices. One, you can go to the other ladies and be like, you know what she said? She said the decoration on <laughs> And then this lady goes to another lady. You know what she said? She said that. And then another lady comes in. You know what she said? That she said? That she said? That she said? <laughs> and there's those cracks. There's those cracks in our family. They start showing up. Or you can give that to the Lord. You can give that to the Lord and you can pray for that person to change their heart. In your marriage, you can do this. Allison has had to do this several times with me. Right? I, I, she, she has something she, that annoys her with me or that I'm doing that's, that's, that's not right. And she prays to the Lord about it. And God works on me. And God fixes me. And she's told me about it. She told me about it. Think about it here at the church. You, you have an issue with somebody here at the church. You pray for them. You pray that God would change their heart. May the Lord judge between me and you. And may the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Look at me. I've got 600 malcontents in a cave. You have all of Israel. I am not a threat to you. The Lord, therefore, be the judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Right? David doesn't gloss over Saul's sin. He confronts Saul's sin. He, he, he says it plain as day in there. Out of the wicked comes forth wickedness. But he says the Lord is going to deal with this, not me. And look at what it does. Look at what this does. Right? If David had slain Saul in that cave, who knows what would have happened. There's still 3,000 dudes outside, and there's 600 dudes in a cave. What do you have to do? Push a boulder over the hole. Problem solved. They'll starve to death in there, right? Look at what happens when David handles it God's way. Saul, verse 17, he says to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? <coughs> May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. And now look at verse 20. This is the first time we'll ever see Saul say this. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king. Jonathan said this in the last chapter. He said, my father knows you're going to be king. Now Saul is saying, now I know that you will surely be king. Because every time I tried to track you down in that desert, every time I had you surrounded on a mountain, God found a way. God found a way. And now, it's like it's, it's like God is trying to show Saul, see? You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until the point where Saul has his back to David with a sword, and God's like, you can't do anything about this. David is going to be king. And Saul recognizes Now you surely will be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. And then we see a little picture of Saul here. Remember when Samuel was, was uh, 
after Saul for what he'd done, and he said the kingdom's going to be ripped away. What, what did Saul want him to do? Please come worship with me. Please come worship, because I don't want to be embarrassed in front of the elders when, when you don't show up. There we see him. So now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. Who cares about your name? You're in sin, brother. Who cares about your name? Saul does. And David swore to Saul. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a difficult thing to swear to Saul because David had already sworn this to Jonathan, Saul's son. Right? He made multiple covenants with him that I will not destroy your house. So Saul says it, and he's like, yeah, sure, I already said that like three times. But I'll swear to you too. And Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. David, although uh, the art of... Uh, parachuting out of a plane was something that was invented much later. He knew that uh, you don't need a parachute to go skydiving. Did you know that? You need a parachute to go skydiving twice. <laughs> right? And David David knew. He said, okay, Saul made this, oh, I'm so sorry, David, I'm so sorry. But he'd done that in the past. And David knew that Saul would return to his wicked ways, and he does. David was right. So David and his men go off to a camp. We don't have to expose ourselves to constant abuse. David doesn't do that. He doesn't go back to the palace and let spears get thrown at him. He goes his own way and moves to the stronghold. What can we apply? What can we, what, what can we applying this truth to... Areas in our life, what can that do? Right? Let's think about our relationships with our friends or, or our spouses, our family. How can this, this truth of, of, of giving vengeance to the Lord and, and praying that, that God would work on this person, not me? Because I guarantee you, I can sit here and I can say, well, I need to fix this person this way and this way and this way. And that person sitting in another room going, ah, I need to fix Lance this way, this way, this way. God knows what needs to be fixed. And God will work on our hearts. And God will work on our spouses and our families. It's God's timing. It's God's work. What about in our, in our ministries? When we're working with other believers and we bump into people and, and there's tension and whatnot. How can, apply, how can you apply this in, in that situation when this person has angered you and yet you have to go work in another ministry with them. And you give that to the Lord and you pray to God that God would change their heart. As opposed to you taking out vengeance in your own way. Right? You could, you could, you could wait for that precise moment when everything gets quiet and deliver that cutting blow. Really bring them down to size. What does that do for your, for, for your church? What does that do for the kingdom of Christ? Or you can step back. You can give it to God. Watch God change that person's heart. And this church grows stronger and stronger and stronger. What about our walk with Christ? How does this apply to our walk with Christ? If we depend on Jesus for our daily bread, and we depend on Jesus for, 
protecting us and watching out for us, how much more should we depend on him for vengeance? And luckily for us, we read earlier, vengeance is, is Jesus is coming down and dying on a cross. That's God's version of vengeance here. Right? He's coming down to save us from our sins, to give us salvation. Seeing Christ work in ourselves and in others improves our faith. Amen. Isn't it amazing to see God's word work? As we've been studying through 1 Samuel here, it's almost like a series developed all on its own. We've seen that, that God will grow you, that God will love you with a loyal love. He will provide for you. He will deliver you. And now we know that vengeance is the Lord's, and we can trust in that. And if we apply those things to our lives, we will be so much stronger. We will be so much closer to Christ. Will you please pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for everything that we've found in 1 Samuel. And Lord, the, the amazing thing is, the, the, the truly spectacular thing is, I can go back to, to sermons I preached six months ago, lessons I've taught three years ago. And, and, and these are lessons that I've examined and researched and dug into, and I go back to them, and there's still new stuff to be found. Because your word is alive, and it's breathing, and your Holy Spirit is teaching us. Lord, we pray today that we would not be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That we would take this, this lesson that you've shown us through David and ultimately through your son Jesus and we would apply it in every area of our life. Whether we have an unbeliever that we're trying to witness to that, that attacks us or speaks rudely to us or whether we, we have somebody in our family that we're trying to deal with and we're trying to take things into our 